HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This program is brought to you by Chefs Collaborative, a nonprofit with a mission to inspire, educate, and celebrate chefs and food professionals building a better food system. Change menus, change lives. Learn more at chefscollaborative.org. I'm Tim Gunn, author, educator, and Project Runway mentor, and you're listening to Heritage Radio. to another episode of Magnifico Radio, the weekly podcast featuring conversations in ethical fashion, clean beauty, and sustainable living. I'm your host, Kate Black. Each week, I sit down with designers, makers, and leaders at the forefront of sustainability to discuss their journeys and motivation. This podcast is an extension of my blog, Magnifico.com, and that's Magnifico.com, and my book, also called Magnifico, your head-to-toe guide to ethical fashion and non-toxic beauty. Today's guest is Stephanie Benedetto, who started the Queen of Raw out of a desire to fill a massive void in the fashion industry and help it deal with waste. Hi, Stephanie. Hi, Kate. Thanks for coming. Thank you so much. Um, So let's just, I mean, there's so much to talk about and, you know, we only have about half an hour, but for some reason I feel we're going to go over today. (laughs) Um, But let's start with Queen of Raw, which is your latest endeavor. Um, You're a serial entrepreneur. You started out as a lawyer, but let's start with the project that kind of takes up most of your time. What is Queen of Raw and why did you start it? Sure. I noticed... uh, through my prior experiences that there was this real problem in the industry. Designers were struggling to get access to raw materials, especially those that were really innovative and sustainable. And on the flip side, I saw all these factories and brands and major mills struggling to sell the millions of tons of of quality excess stock that was sitting in a warehouse collecting dust or ending up in a landfill. So I wanted to build Queen of Raw and its technology to provide the bridge between the two. And so, and you started to see all of this because your previous endeavor um, started out of your desire to help your college roommate who started a textile company. Yes. Um, and you thought, okay, well, you know what? I have, a, I have a little bit more business savvy or I have the energy and the business savvy to help her bring this sustainable textile to market. So can you talk about when that started and, and what happened with with paper number nine? Absolutely. I had been a corporate attorney on Wall Street in fashion and technology, e-commerce, startup space, and always knew I wanted to go out on my own. 
And I had a good friend from college who had been at Pratt getting her master's in industrial design uh, and had developed this proprietary process. She was able to convert recycled paper and a designer's old stock fabrics and repurpose it into these really gorgeous, one-of-a-kind custom leather alternatives. But she didn't know where to go or what to do with it. So I had this business and legal background, and she wanted to bring it to market. So we decided, you know what, let's build something here. And it kind of took off. We, you know, started working with some of the biggest fashion houses in the world and seeing that there was this real need and desire for custom, luxury, sustainable materials that was starting to kind of grow. And it took off from there. It's so like so a couple of shows ago we had Katie Denno who just kind of mid career in her thirties just switched over to makeup artistry and, and just through perseverance managed to actually craft a, a lucrative career. And I feel like you did the same thing. Like you were a lawyer and then all of a sudden Rebecca called and you're like, Okay, yes, I will help bring this paper to market and I met you around that time. That's right. And you were cold calling all these fashion brands and all these designers and like within the first year you had entered the paper into um a hand bag award because because it was a leather alternative you were in um which award was it the, the hand- independent handbag designer awards yes. yeah we were one of the finalists there and gave us great exposure to a ton of the big fashion houses and it got accepted and juried into material connection showroom around the world so it really got a ton of exposure and and press and awards and notoriety beyond what i think we even expected in the first year which is a good problem to have when things grow too quickly but uh, and how did you know how to do that like i know you have fashion in your background and in, in your family but not in the most recent generation so right. so did you have a lot of context in the fashion industry? No, absolutely not. And I guess that's one of the advantages of being in New York City is I was on the ground, on the floor, near the garment district, just walking around with my pitch deck, with my samples and kind of knocking on doors and making calls. And, you know, you always think that someone's going to say no, but that should always be the worst thing that happens. And if you don't try, you'll never know. So it I found in a lot of this, of course, you can send out emails and look for email addresses online, but it's such a different story if you can make that personal call or if you're located near them going and knocking on the door. I was so surprised how many people opened their doors or took that calls, even CEOs of some of the biggest companies in the world. And I think that's just a testament to now with this new age way of thinking and doing things. We're all so fast on social media and email, but that personal connection, those calls, those on the ground make a big difference. That's true. And I I had a student say to me, you know, it seems like your show promotes a lot of contests. There's so many contests in ethical fashion, which I... I was a bit surprised because I don't think we actually have as many contests or, or kind of opportunities for ethical fashion designers as suppliers as conventional fashion does. But what does it what does it do for a new brand or a new concept to all of a sudden? Because you were you were in two awards, right? You were a finalist for two awards yes. in the first year. Yes, the WGSN Global Fashion Awards as well, which had a sustainability division, and that was an international award based in London. And to get that kind of feedback from this community we were able to you know we sent in and applied to this contest kind of on a whim had no expectations of anything but it was an easy application and then made it to the next round and then the next round and you know you always think about your competitors and worrying about how you're going to stand out but but we actually made it and we're you know a bit surprised but thrilled and getting flown out there going to London being at the awards and getting exposure and contact to those people as well as the press in major publications that came out of it it was great exposure 
for free, which took very little effort. And I think a lot of times people do overlook that. They think, oh, we're never going to win this. Like, But it really do try. The contests have been really key to help support us and get us out there. And so at some point, so you're, you're hitting the ground, you're pushing paper number nine, you're having a little notoriety from contests and press, and you're starting to have this kind of nagging feeling that the industry needs something else. Yes. So when did that happen and how did you kind of, how did the Queen of Raw start as a seed in, in your mind? Absolutely. So we were, you know, making, handcrafting this artisanal paper leather alternative for these fashion houses. And as we were doing that, um, because we were a startup, we were working one-on-one with these designers, getting feedback from them. And as we were talking to them more and more, it wasn't just what we were doing that they wanted. They wanted more like it. So all of these, especially students and emerging independent designers, kept coming to us and saying, oh, we love what you're doing. Where do we go? What do we do? How do we find more like you? And I said, oh, okay, ding, ding, ding. There's a bigger problem in the industry that we need to solve. And I had built this amazing community, not just on the design side, but also on the supply side with a lot of the factories and mills that we were working with. And they, too, had a problem. And we're sitting there in their warehouses with this dead stock, relying on their institutional clients, just making more, 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 and didn't know what to do with it. And it was going to landfills. And I said, this is just a supply-demand mismatch. And the beauty of technology is we can correct it. So the idea started percolating. But... I had no technology background. I did a little bit of it in my legal career, but I didn't know how to code. And But I knew that technology could provide a solution. So I kind of hit the ground running with that as well, started learning about technology, coding, platforms, open source, what's out there, and then ended up um, reaching out to General Assembly, which is a great community and group for tech technical people and found my CTO and co-founder there who started building and architecting the platform with me from day one, just ideating on what this would look like and how do we solve it. And then we spent a few years kind of building it and just recently soft launched in the U.S. It's amazing. And you have two co-founders. So the first one you found, did you put up one of those yellow forms at General Assembly? Funnily enough, he put up one of those yellow forms on General Assembly. And I still have a picture of the form that I took. There were a few that really stood out to me on the job board. And I reached out to all of them, did small projects with each of them. And something about him, I just knew he was a right fit. I remember because um, there's there's not too many opportunities for somebody like when, when you partnered up with Rebecca, your college um, roommate, she knew you. And so she knew that you had kind of a skill set that would help her um, her creative business move forward. But there's not too many opportunities where somebody who has a real creative brain can can find somebody with a business brain or somebody with particularly a technology brain. Yes. And General Assembly has this board where a whole bunch of co-founders are looking for each other. Hey, I have this idea. Or, hey, I have this business already up and running and I need X, Y, or Z. So you were the first person that I knew who successfully sourced a co-founder. And you have two. Did you get your other one there as well? I also have a creative director who's also been with me since day one working on this. And funny enough, I actually met him randomly at a Vera Wang fashion party years ago before I'd even thought of this idea. But I saw something about the photography he was doing there and and we really hit it off. I started following what he was doing and him, I just reached out and said, let's work on some projects. I have this idea, but I need kind of someone to help with the graphic design, the marketing, the branding, the concept. And he said, sure, let's try it. And he's been with me ever since. 
Amazing. New York is so like that. So walk by General Assembly, pick up a co-founder, go to a Vera Wang party, pick up a creative <laughs> director. And next thing you know, you're running a technology company. So what's different for you um, from your law degree to paper number nine, which was more of a creative industry, to now running a tech company? How yeah. what's What sides of you are being exercised now? It is funny. I always say, I mean, it does take an army to do these things. And that's where you can appreciate kind of the support and the mentorship and the advisors around you. As a lawyer at a large corporate law firm on Wall Street, there's a certain hierarchy there. You have a certain role every day that you're looking to do. You have people of superiors above you who are kind of reviewing what you're doing, and there's a methodology to it. And it's great. You learn your craft and your trade, but it's very formal and um, precise about how it operates. And then working out with paper number nine, it was with a friend. So it was great for me to start kind of as an entrepreneur, see what it's all about. But it was obviously very familiar, very cordial. We were good friends and, and kind of building this together. And there I was really focused on the business and the legal side. She had all the creative side down and already had her existing community and it worked. Um, but now and kind of moving even more into tech and on what this kind of bigger vision, I think you start thinking not like a lawyer anymore, not like a business director, um, but really as a CEO. And so you have to have that army and support around you. You have to be able to delegate roles, take responsibility for what is your responsibility and manage people. But there's also needs to be a freedom and a different way of thinking beyond just my formal trade trade and background. And so I think a lot of it is kind of learning a little bit on the fly and, you know, when in doubt, self-educating and the power of Google to teach yourself these things and it makes it a lot of fun. It's a little bit crazy and there's a lot of madness in it. But at the end of the day, if, as a CEO, you can sit down and look at the method behind the madness, then you can really propel your business forward. Because when did Queen of Raw officially as a platform launch or yeah. soft launch? I bet less than a year ago. Okay. So in that year, you've been doing iterations, testing, yes. UI, user interface, um, user experience, and then also now you're fundraising. Yes. So you've been pitching the idea to the greater investment community to see who wants to, to get on this platform. Right. Because at the moment, you're really only servicing North America. Yeah. Yes. And and it's so it's so kind of there's I I mean I have so many leaders on this show who are just kind of the vision before the reality but I've seen more and more there's way more kind of incubators and accelerators for fashion brands and fashion businesses popping up there's a huge community in Minnesota there's a f huge community now like in Detroit and a whole bunch of places where maybe access access to great textiles or materials without minimums or all the kind of things that you're offering on on the queen of raw would be great if they could only find it so now yes. you've just broken down all those barriers because you ship anywhere across america yes exactly right and that's really what we spent a lot of our time doing was not just the front end and trying to build our story and our business model but on the back end what do those logistics look like how do we connect where things are going and who they're going to in different quantities how do those suppliers manage and track and monitor their own inventory so it really on the back end becomes a robust supply chain management system for them. And exactly right now, it's our, our next phase is getting in touch and working with, which we already are, a lot of these great accelerators and incubators, as well as being a part of one ourselves. We happen to be one of the winners of the launch.org challenge. And uh, that was a great contest around sustainability, circular economy. And following that contest and um, being one of the six winners, we are in their one-year incubator, which is a virtual incubator. And that, too, connects us 
to a great community of mentors, advisors, and supporters to help get us out there. And you're part of the circular economy because you're taking dead stock, you're taking, you know, kind of what's already existing, whether it's like the last generation of sewing machines or the last generation of finishings and trims or, you know, textile excess that a designer ordered but didn't need the whole minimum order themselves. And you're putting it on the platform with permission from the the seller and making it available at a discount. Yes. Do you consider yourself a discounter? We have traditionally, we just want to pass through the best pricing that that supplier would give their wholesale and industry insiders to this community who otherwise wouldn't be able to get that attractive insider pricing. Um, that, that being said, with certain suppliers, when there's a time limit on when they have to have this inventory going, we're a- we are able to put in some kind of pricing discounting mechanisms. Um, but a lot of what we are treating at, everything we pick, we curate. It is luxury. It is quality dead stock. Um, we're not just taking anything and everything yet. Uh, we do want to stand by what we have and truly see this almost as an Alibaba done right. I mean, we can use now really powerful new technology tools as well as um, kind of trust and community with these suppliers and designers to build that bridge and avoid a lot of the problems that come in with fraud, with people not getting what they ordered. And and we really spend a lot of time controlling that. Interesting. And so, you know what, let's take a break and then we'll just come right back. This program is brought to you by Chefs Collaborative, a national nonprofit network with a mission to inspire, educate, and celebrate chefs and food professionals building a better food system. Chefs Collaborative members work to make sustainable practices second nature for every chef in the United States. Chefs Collaborative was founded in 1993 by visionary chefs, including Rick Bayless and Alice Waters who acknowledge the influential role of food professionals on our food choices, our collective personal health, the vitality of cultures, and the integrity of the global environment. Chefs Collaborative believes that the greater culinary community can be a catalyst for positive change by expanding the market for good food and helping to preserve local farming and fishing communities. Change menus, change lives. Learn more about Chefs Collaborative at chefscollaborative.org. And we're back. You're listening to Magnifico Radio. I'm your host, Kate Black, and today I'm sitting down with the Queen of Raw. (laughs) Um, So just before the break, we were talking um, about your American um, presence and footprint. What other revenue streams do you have, and and what are you expecting for the future? Absolutely. I I do think that uh, it's important to have multiple revenue streams for any business, especially a technology-based business. So one, we make a commission on an actual sale. Uh, That is the bread and butter of our e-commerce platform, and that that is the core business. But we found as we were building the platform that on the back end, I had briefly mentioned that we were building this kind of robust supply chain management system that helped these brands and factories and mills really monitor and track their own inventory better. A lot of this was still done on Excel spreadsheet for even some of the biggest brands in the world. And we were able to put it in a digital format and monitor everything in one repository, track it in warehouses around the world. So for kind of the B2B marketplace, it um, opened up a whole other revenue stream where they can now white label the technology 
technology themselves and monitor and track their own inventory um, as well as feeds into our platform and where they're actively selling so they can minimize those that waste uh, better. And uh, then we also do do one-on-one consulting. Uh, obviously, for the, our community, it's very important to us to be working one-on-one, especially with a lot of this community. So we spend time doing that consulting work as well. And you also do marketing. We do. Because Corbin is on that side as well. Yes. Um, and, so, and so do we. With Magnifico, we have like a little side arm. And so you're, when you help um, and do the marketing for, it's mostly fashion brands. Yes. And that's also white labeled, right? You yes. You consult and help them on the side with storytelling or with their waste storytelling? Exactly. So it, it depends, the typical lawyer answer, <laughs> depending on what the, the brands and, and suppliers are looking for. But some of the, putting aside the fashion brands, some of these suppliers, and mills and factories don't even have a website and we can offer them a quick turnkey website that they can kind of have up and running with the photography with all the marketing and promotion we have a youtube channel we also have a podcast material is your business Uh, we have a few tv shows in the works uh, and a blog so all these different um, technology platforms that they're probably not taking advantage of yet and they don't have time or energy to do that and we can do that for them we work very hard with corbin and our creative team to produce that original content, which is great for us, but also in turn great for them. And then for the fashion houses, you're right. It's about now how they keep their beautiful luxury story and their brand, but also incorporate into that now this sustainable mission, which a lot of them have. They're just not getting it out there and told yet, or at least not right. And I think that that's a, uh, something that a lot of startup um, and emerging designers, but not just fashion, like a lot of startups, forget to ask those that you're already working with or you're thinking of working with if they do consulting for marketing on the side or yes. if they have some sort of um, business model. Because I think a lot of brands and startups think, okay, so I have my technology partner or I have my PR partner, but I need to go somewhere else for this or somewhere else for that. Um, so I think a lot of people would be surprised how many how many faces a lot of their partners now have or services that their partners now offer. Yes. No, it's true. And it's something that, you know, you're so interested in building your own story as an entrepreneur and getting your content out there, but realizing that this content is also valuable to somebody else and in turn can help support their missions and their stories. And it's mutually beneficial. It really truly is a win-win for everybody. Um, and so we're going to have a conversation that we hardly ever have on this show. <laughs> um, and only simply because you're one of the few people I think I've had in these three seasons who is a relatively new mother. So on top of the the two businesses that you do and all the different faces of Queen and Raw, you also have a son who's under two. So how many hours a night do you sleep? Um, We don't sleep very much. But to be honest, it's actually been a value add for the business because aside from obviously spending quality time with my son, being up at odd hours works for international clients. So there's always benefits. And and your time is a little more limited. So you're very disciplined about your work as well as your quality time with your family. So I've known you since before you were a mother yes. and now you're a mother and and just to kind of talk about work-life balance your husband is also a partner in a law firm so yes. you don't have stay-at-home support from right. your from your significant other. So how do you how do you balance it all because um, you know there's a lot of talk about uh, work-life balance and I have not seen anything change from you. You don't look older, you don't look <laughs> well, exhausted. Thank you. <laughs> you're not <laughs> 
<laughs> you're not, um, your personality isn't a little bit more um, tense. So how do you do, how did you really kind of add your child into the mix of this startup and everything else that you were doing? How did that kind of happen so seamlessly? Yeah, well, again, it does take an army. So I'm very fortunate to have some wonderful support from family and friends um, around here to help with uh, both my child rearing as well as my business growing. Um, they truly are both children in and of themselves. But I knew, always knew I wanted to be a mother and have children. I used to want 10. Now I realize maybe two. Uh, it, it's good. It's good enough if, if I'm blessed with it. But um, my son, Jacob, he's extraordinary. And I think having that experience and having my child has forever changed the way I think about the world as well as the business that I'm running. I mean, it truly, you start to think that this world is not just about you, but it's about the future and your children and your children's children. And you want them to have a, a planet to live on and clean, sustainable, organic clothes to wear and air that's not toxic to breathe. And so I think I knew I had to be a key part of driving that solution home, both for myself and my personal mission, but as well as my children's mission. So uh, I think it's been a value add in all respects, uh, personally and professionally. And if you're having a lot of fun while you're doing it, then it just all moves forward together. Don't be afraid. That's amazing. Okay, and let's talk about, besides the support systems, let's talk about all the ways to make your life easier because technology kind of has stepped up. So what are some of the apps? Um, are, how many emails, how many unread emails do you have right now on your phone? Oh my gosh, I don't even want to know. I probably average about, it's probably about... 50, 75. Um. This from a woman where before she had her child had zero. She would answer every single email on demand. I can tell you I have 1,600 unread emails. So how do you keep your life? What What's your favorite apps? And what, like what, how does technology help you it really, juggle everything? It's incredible what's out there now. And obviously, you don't want to clutter with thousands of apps. Um, you can get quickly bogged down. But a couple Slack has been amazing for our company because obviously, as an early stage startup, although we do have co-networking space, we're not always all in the same place at the same time. Using Slack has been awesome for um, kind of connecting, messaging each other, managing different conversations. So I highly recommend it. Um, for family and managing your family, WhatsApp has been great because I can share messages with my family. They can share with me of what's going on with my son. So that's always good personally. And then we use Insightly's app for our CRM tool. And that's amazing because from your phone, I can virtually like manage and track and monitor those emails that are coming in, prioritize what needs to be responded to and in what time frame. Um, I'm definitely under the lawyer mindset of trying to get back to people. It used to be within two hours. Now it's within 24 hours, but that is not not, oh, that is going to be the, the limit. 50 is waiting for. That's the to be continued. Yes. Uh, What's the name of that app again? Insightly. Okay. Um, and they are uh, free to start uh, in, and very cost effective as you grow and scale CRM tool. To uh, But they have a great app that's very good user interface to manage that. And what about personal health or well-being? Oh, my gosh. Um, now I'm embarrassed to say that I don't have one of those on here. I well, because I discovered um, YouTube yoga. I mean, it's oh. been around forever, but I've been doing yoga with Adrian. She has 30, um, 30 days of yoga. So there's a, a range of 30 different, um, and they range in time from 15 minutes to 25 minutes. So usually when I get up, I get up at 7 o'clock. And then by the time I get on my mat, I use the minute after seven to be the one that I pick. So if it's seven seventeen, then I do day 17 and I just do that yoga app, that yoga series so that it kind of keeps it fresh. And so 
very important. I bring <laughs> yoga to my house because I can't, I don't have the time to go anywhere anymore. Um, and I also use Calendly. Yes. Which is a new app to help you manage your calendar. So I just now when people want to meet with me or when I'm booking radio guests, I just send them the link. And if they're a radio guest, they can see which dates are still open. And then if it's somebody who wants a meeting, you can choose like a 15, 30 or hour long meeting, depending on what we need to talk about. That's awesome. Yeah. It makes my life so much easier. (laughs) Um, Okay. So I also want to talk to you about advice. Because you have these three kind of hats that you've been wearing, what's your advice for people who maybe want to switch careers or are interested in in taking over? Because you've been very inspiring for me because I had Magnifico, then I added Eco Sessions, now I'm working on a third project because I look at you and you make it seem so easy. So what's your advice for people who um, are are in the midst of doing something, but also see that the world needs something else or or they could do a spinoff or something that they're already doing? Oh my gosh, do not be afraid. It is always so scary to take that first step, put your idea out there, um, especially when it's a far from perfect idea, but you've got this idea and this inspiration. And I think the biggest thing that I have learned going through this is don't be afraid to get your product out there. I mean, you know, you have to get it out there to have people testing things, getting feedback, learning about it. I, you know, I hate the word, but pivoting and iterating as needed. Um, to me, that's just a business growing and improving and learning uh, from your community. That's the only way you're truly going to be able to grow a business and realize your passion and inspiration and to be able to deliver. So I think the best thing that we have learned to do is, you know, get your product up, get it out there, try start testing the market, get that feedback and, and don't be afraid and, and it will only benefit you. And what advice do you have for onboarding a co-founder? Because, um, yeah. I've watched you and it seems pretty painless. Um, so did you have some strategies right up front to kind of make sure that you navigated or you stayed away from any kind of potholes or roadblocks before you even hit them? Yeah. I mean, this is the lawyer answer, but get it in writing. <laughs> um, <laughs> actually, can you expand upon that? Because yeah. you gave me some really good advice yeah. a long time ago. How long, how long, how many pages is your partnership? Yeah, agreement? it's 62 pages, which, um, you know, I don't necessarily recommend a 62 page agreement for everyone. Um, but I I can tell you what is important, whether it was with even with my friend with Rebecca on our first business and now with my co-founders on Queen of Raw, um, you want to spell everything out as much as you can think about the problems that will come in advance in writing. So everyone is really on board with the terms, very clear. It's like a business plan, but just between you and your co-founders. And because when it is in writing and you've got an issue or a disagreement, which is inevitably going to happen, you look to the document about how to solve it. And there is a methodology talking about the method and the madness of how you solve that problem and how you talk about it, what the voting rights are and what the, you know, and how you deal with it. And that's the best way to avoid any long-term personal problems because it was in writing. The other thing I can say when you have a co-founder, and this has worked very well, um, is anytime someone's coming on for equity and sweat equity and is to have those shares vest over a time period. You know, you want someone, especially in a co-founder experience, to be vested in the game, have skin in the game, um, and really be working to hit either certain milestones or a certain amount of time with you where you're both satisfied. And so if you have those shares vest over that time period, they have to work to earn it, but it truly does build. um, It's not a bad thing. It builds that relationship. It builds that trust. It builds that work ethic that will last with you for the rest of the business. 
It's almost like building a house, right? You're really? both, you start at the foundation and you just contribute. And so now that Queen of Raw, like in this last year and a half that you've been hitting kind of the investment circles, you've been pitching the business, you've been working with a lot of fashion industry um, people, how confident are you that fashion can clean up their act? How confident are you that we're going to be a much more sustainable business in the future? I'll be honest, I have zero doubts that we're going to be a sustainable business future. Not one. It is going to take time as any problem solving does, and it's going to take an army and people kind of building solutions to help. But I have no doubt because there are certain things that are obvious, easy fix ups and cleanups and places to look to start. And that's like what we're trying to offer is you already have this stock. You don't have to do anything to move it to where there's a demand to monetize it better for you. And that's still cleaning up. You know, you are not sending it to a landfill. You're reducing the amount of textile manufacturing that's being manufactured and produced and the water toxins and energy being used. So that's a very strong, good place to start. And then in turn, you sell this stuff, you make more money, now you can look to, to buy more. And we're seeing more and more bigger fashion houses, and well as in other industries, really having these corporate directors of social responsibility, getting these mandates from corporate that they have to use a certain percent sustainable, because that's what consumers are starting to demand. And so in turn, they, want, they have to buy newer, innovative, sustainable materials and they're starting to. And I think in the future, this is not just going to be the sustainable way of doing business. This is the way it's done. And in the meantime, people like, for example, you have a fire sale. So anybody who's listening live or listening before June 30th, I think it is, right? Um, You have an amazing opportunity for anybody who works with leather to take advantage of some dead stock. Do you want to just talk about that for a second? Yeah, we have the beautiful quality dead stock leathers that um, were manufactured all over the world that are sitting in a few warehouses that have a deadline and they have to get rid of it uh, by June 30th. And so we're doing a fire sale of it. Um, We uh, discounted it as much as we possibly can because our mission and our goal is not to see this stuff burned and incinerated and wasted. Um, It would be a shame and is to get it into the supply chain and to the design community who are actively looking for it. So if you're based near Vietnam or Thailand or Italy or Indonesia, we have um, a ton of stock there of really high quality stuff from one of the biggest fashion houses in the world at some of the best price points. And so we would love to get it to you before it gets burned. And is there any in the U.S.? Uh, There is some in the U.S., not of the leathers, but of some lace and some denim and some faux fur that's sitting in the U.S. that also is under a deadline. Amazing. So, and you know how heavy leather is. So you need to kind of be very close in order to make that um, financially feasible if you're an emerging designer. Yes. Um, So it's my third season. So I've been closing off with three quick questions. Um, So if your life had a motto, what would it be? Oh, together we can change the world. Oh. That was pretty fast. Okay. <laughs> Without a doubt. Uh, that has always been my motto. And uh, yeah, I truly believe it and stand by it. And who or what inspires you? Uh, well, obviously my son and my family every day and thinking about and knowing how we can change the world together for them and their children and their children's children. That's so nice. And what's next on your bucket list? What are you working towards? Oh, my gosh. I mean, obviously, from a business perspective, we are looking to grow and scale. We will be going to international markets in stages after we finish our first round of fundraising. So, you know, my goal ultimately someday is to take on Alibaba. I mean, this does not necessarily have to be the biggest e-commerce giant in the world. There are better ways to do it. So that's kind of a professional goal 
personally, um, I love techno and sushi, so I absolutely have to go to Tokyo. I have never been there. That is 100% on my bucket list. And then if I had one dream person I could meet uh, in the future, it would be Aung San Suu Kyi the democratic leader from uh, Myanmar, formerly Burma, and uh, talk about someone who had a vision, had a dream of how the world could be better, and even under house arrest for years, just stood by it and now is free. And so I think there's a lot of power in that and a good message. Together we can change That's the world. It. Okay, so how can listeners find out more about you, particularly this fire sale? Yes. What's the URL for Queen of Raw? Yeah, it's www.queenofraw.com, one word. Um, we're on social media. Everything is Queen of Raw, one word as well. And um, I'm very transparent. You can always email me, I hope within 24 hours, to get back to you. It's Stephanie, S-T-E-P-H-A-N-I-E, at queenofraw.com. Um, phone number is 203-981-6993. We are available and here to help. Oh, that's amazing. You're the first person to give a phone number. I am, and I do. It is important to me. That's amazing. So I'm so thrilled to finally have Stephanie Benedetto join me here in Roberta's Pizza. We're going to go and have some fantastic pizza now. I can't wait. Which is home of the Heritage Radio Network. You can find and subscribe to Magnifico Radio on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you find great podcasts. And if you like what you hear, kindly give us a review. I would love to hear what your, your thoughts. And also a rating. It helps us rank higher amongst conventional fashion podcast and to push these conversations forward have a question want to be a sponsor or recommend a guest you can email me at radio at magnifico and it's m-a-g-n-i-f-e-c-o.com and want to learn more about ethical fashion head on over to magnifico.com thanks for listening until next week for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.